Hello and welcome to Mimazine on Air, Breaking the Chains. Women's rights have been at the forefront of headlines in the past few weeks, with reports of Rafa Alkanen and Santoya Brown recently shocking viewers worldwide. But these cases often deceive us into thinking that these issues don't directly affect us, or even happen in the UK. Sadly, this couldn't be further from the truth. Human rights abuse, violence, arranged marriages and FGM are but a few of the trustees happening right here in the UK. A mother was recently charged for FGM, female genital mutilation, on a three-year-old daughter, despite claiming she fell on a table corner. Although being illegal for more than 30 years in the UK, this case was the third ever attempt at prosecution for FGM in the country, and the country's first ever conviction for it. It's a crucial case in bringing attention to FGM in the UK. With this in mind, I'd like to introduce today's guest, Virginia Raffelli from Durham Student Halo Project. Virginia, I'm a third year law student. Um, I'm deputy director for the Durham Student Halo Project. What we do as a student pro bono society, if you guys don't know what pro bono is, it's basically volunteer legal work. So we're one of the 13 projects run by the Durham Pro Bono Society. What we do is raise awareness for charity based in New- in Middlesbrough, the Halo Project. It was founded in 2011 uh, in order to help BAME victims of forced marriage, honor-based violence and FGM because the two founders, Yasmin Khan and Nazir, reali- who both worked for the Welsh government, mm-hmm. realized that there wasn't enough systems in place within the UK to recognize cultural diversity when tackling crimes like these and that therefore they needed to set up a charity that would not only help victims but also educate the police forces Mm -hmm. and all the social workers put in place by the government to help victims of these crimes. Like you said I think people are very aware that there are issues worldwide. There is very little even said about it in the UK let alone done to prevent it. Yes, I mean, that's why they set up the Student Pro Bono Society in 2014, because they realised that they had too much casework themselves and that the biggest problem was awareness, because most people don't even realise that it happens at all in the UK. Mm. Whereas, unfortunately, there's thousands of cases a year. Just our charity currently has 72 victims they're helping now. And they're one of many charities, like another really famous one is Carmen Ivana that helps victims of forced marriage. Um, there's others based in Newcastle as well. We've met some people from the Angelou Project last year. There's loads of people all over the UK doing things like this, but the general population isn't even aware that this is happening. Therefore, even recognising signs of crimes like these makes it harder because people just don't are not looking out for them at all. With rights in general... How does the UK differ how women's rights or, I mean, women's rights abuse in the UK at the moment um, on a kind of global spectrum? I would say, unfortunately, women's rights are in peril a bit everywhere for different reasons and in different contexts. I mean, obviously, we had a panel discussion a few months ago talking about the whitewashing of feminism. Mm. The rights that most women, the, the abuse rights that most women will face in the UK will probably concern things like gender pay gap or domestic abuse, whereas in other countries in the world, they'll have to even fight to just be able to vote or go to school. So obviously the rights, the issues are different, but there are loads here as well. And unfortunately, they're on the increase. 
although the government like released statistics about a year ago saying how although their statistics register an increment in all these crimes ranging from domestic abuse to rape to sexual violence all these kinds of things probably just because more people are coming out about it um i would say there probably is an increase in these crimes as well because financial stress increases problems um i mean lots of mental health problems are increased by things like that so this will put more stress on families in a general context um which is not to say at all that any of this is right but there seems to be an increase in violence on all levels of society and unfortunately a lot tackles attacks women even mean even last year when we lost the world cup yeah the government was talking about concerns about how women, there would be a dramatic increase in abuse on women that night because people go home angry and drunk, which is terrifying. Mm. Um, But at least more people are coming out about it, both men and women. I mean, yesterday there was this massive case on the BBC about this guy in Bedfordshire who'd been abused for three, nearly three years by his girlfriend. So these things happen to both men and women. You forget that is a scary statistic that actually 40% of domestic abuse is females to, towards men, which I think people are very quick to forget, actually. Yes, I mean, I was reading about it yesterday, and only 1 in 20 men in their lifetime will come out about having been abused. Wow. But the, the statistics of men who have been abused, not just by a partner, but by a family member or a friend or whatever, are more like 1 in 6 so, like, the difference is huge, but that's because the stigma surrounding abuse towards guys is much worse than that towards women, which is terrifying. Because, I mean, we did a lot of about sexual violence last year in one of my modules. And even to, even women, people won't believe them. If they come out about having been abused, having been assaulted, a lot of the time, even their friends will say they're exaggerating and won't believe them. So and for men, this really is worse. Scary. So. Yeah, it's it's a huge problem and the only thing we can do really is talk about it because pretending the issue doesn't exist is not going to help it go away and it's only going to discourage people from coming forward. No, yeah, it's really, really important. I think as, as with most problems, I think speaking about it is the first step to actually confronting it head on and not kind of sweeping it under the, the mat. So what are forced, mar- forced marriages Um what was the difference between arranged marriage and forced marriage? I mean, an arranged marriage is traditional to lots of cultures um, and religions, but it is not linked to religion. I mean, it's easy for us to see as the UK and a Western country to link it to certain areas of the world or certain religions, but it is not written in any religion. or in it. It's more tradition than anything else. Um, but an arranged marriage is simply when the parents of the two partners think that their children make a good match and introduce their children to each other and will ask them if they'd be happy to marry each other. That's perfectly legitimate and there's consent on both sides because that's the main thing. So that's the important part, there is consent. consent. There's the knowledge and consent on both sides. A forced marriage is when one or both partners are deprived of con- of the right to consent. This may be through physical abuse, mental abuse, um, financial abuse um it could be through forms of duress duress or threat i mean we went to meet survivors from our that work with our charity a few weeks ago and one of the victims we spoke to had had to uh, consent to a forced marriage because she'd already had a daughter and her family threatened to take her daughter away 
So it is not does not necessarily involve physical abuse, although in her case it did as well. But it's it's just control and manipulation of the person. And even the police is trying to really stress how just because you're not f- physically not physically dragged to the altar, if if there's any form of coercion on any point, where it be through manipulation or threats or anything, it is forced. And are there any typical victims? Are people more? I know you said arranged marriages do happen, um, maybe within specific cultures. I know it's not a very traditional thing in uh, British culture, but are there any typical or um, more prevalent cases for different cultures for forced marriages? Rather than cultures, I would say statistically a lot of the victims, in the, at least in the UK, come from very orthodox Muslim families or very orthodox Hindu or Jewish communities but again in all these cases it's extremism and that's why our charity is really campaigning against drawing trying to draw the distinction between the two because in most communities of any religion or culture if it's just a normal practice Mm -hmm. it is not accepted it's the dragging taking it to the extreme version of wanting to control the person and unfortunately that's written nowhere no religious text in no religion it says that women or even men are objects that their family can own but culture is it has remained the practice throughout the centuries and so they believe it is right i mean in the uk most of the victims are teenagers ranging from i'd say 15 to 21 mm-hmm. but there's victims much younger and victims much older even our Charity has been helping a victim who's nearly 45. Wow. Because I think she had to, she divorced or had to marry and her family tried to force her into marrying someone else. So. There is really no typical victim. There is no, there's no typical victim. I mean, the majority are around our age or just younger than us. Because that's obviously when you become a woman and when it's easier. Yes, but it can be anyone and there's cases all over the world of children. Like, you could be married as a baby. So, I mean, legislation in some countries in the world, although the Convention on the Rights of the Child says that you only become an adult at 18, the Convention allows countries' discretion on what to do, really. So some countries say, no, you can get married at age zero. Like you said, that makes it really hard to, to draw a line between arranged, forced, consent... It seems to be a very blurred, complex uh, issue, which is taken to the extreme, or like you said, it's in in that extreme where the problems seem to arise. I mean, what are the consequences uh, of forced marriages? I mean, really, anything. The prime consequence is mental illness, and the suicide rates in relation to forced marriage is exponentially high. Um, Can happen to both men and women, um, one of the survivors our charity is helping now is a man who had to escape a forced marriage because he was gay and his family was beating him and f- physically forcing him into marrying a woman. So he suffered terrible mental health problems afterwards and that's the main consequence. Second consequence obviously is rape because if you're forcing into marrying someone they're probably going to force you to have sex with them repeatedly especially in the case of young girls. Um, Domestic abuse by the family of the spouse often. If you read 
testimonies of survivors or even articles from the BBC, all people who've been forced into situations like these have been abused in the end, not only by their husband or wife, but mm. by their families as well. That's often, so sad. People you're meant to trust and be providers for you are actually pushing you into this yes. in such a thoughtful, violent manner. Again, it seems so hard to believe and hard to accept that it is happening on a day-to-day basis in a society which we are all part of. Yes, I mean, you'll get the abuse from your family if you refuse. You'll get the abuse from their family once you live with them because clearly they don't consider you a human. So often leads to forms of modern slavery. Um, Again, one of the people that our charity is helping now who unfortunately is a victim of both forced marriage, honor-based violence and FGM, she was literally treated by as a as a modern Cinderella by her family, starved, beaten, made to eat out of a dog bowl. It'll lead to child exploitation in a lot of the cases because obviously the victims are extremely young. Grooming, occasionally even forms of hate crime. You'll be dragged into forms of religious religious or cultural extremism. So it's not even a not isolated phenomenon in the sense that, again, our charities had to realise that they couldn't just focus on those three things, honor-based violence, FGM, and forced marriage, because they're so interlinked to so many other issues that they're now tackling all of them at the same time. Because if you'd forced into something like this, you're probably going to be a victim. Maybe not of FGM, because that's very specifically linked to certain cultures, but at least of the others, and probably of many more crimes. Can you please say a little bit about honour-based violence? Um, as you said, violence in general is on the increase um, and takes many different forms. But what is honour-based violence specifically? I mean, honour-based violence is a form of domestic violence in a certain sense. It is slightly different because contrary to domestic violence, it has to be perpetrated by, let's say, a family member or someone who lives within your domestic walls. Honor-based violence can be perpetrated by anyone, so as someone in and outside of your home, and is perpetrated for a different reason. Whereas domestic violence can be caused by many different reasons, all of which are anyway wrong, honor-based violence is specifically caused by the family and carried out because they believe that the victim has shamed the family in some way. This could be through refusing to marry someone, this could be, as is often the case, unfortunately, for being too westernised, where they occur on, like in the UK. They could be for dating someone that the family doesn't approve. In the case of men, it is often because they're gay. Communities that have such extreme cultural religious views, it is seen really as not acceptable, and men have been killed for being gay, or, or beaten to the point of death. So it can it's linked to a code of behaviour that the family or the community, because it can be carried out by whole communities who are all in agreement that this person has done something wrong and will punish them or kill them for it. They believe you have to stick to a certain very specific code of behaviour and as soon as you do something that doesn't comply with what they think is right, you will be physically abused, mentally abused and possibly killed. I mean, there's been case, recent cases in the UK of forms of honour-based violence. Um, one of the most famous cases the UK ever faced was that of Banaz Mahmood in 2006. She was raped by her father, uncle, brother, killed, raped after her death, and then buried in their front garden because she was dating someone the family didn't approve of and she was too westernised. I mean, the case is horrible, but it prompted a lot of change in how, like, 
police have to tackle these issues because she'd been to the police at least seven times to report the threats by her family and and listed all her family members saying they will do X, Y, and Z to me. And the police didn't do nothing because at the time there were no like measures to face this kind of thing. And so she was killed. Do you um, think that's improving now? Do you think the police and authorities in general are having um, a better stance against it? As you've said, it is becoming more uh, educated upon, more spoken about. So do you think the police are having a better kind of itinerary to tackle it and take it more seriously yeah i'd definitely say yes um i wouldn't say there's been a huge change but a change has been seen even as you said by the fact that they've managed to prosecute mm-hmm. an fgm case um in which the is case- outstanding it's the first case ever to be prosecuted yeah considering there's about thir- 137,000 people in the uk living who've had fgm most of them haven't had it here but a lot of them have been taken out of the uk and then brought back with it um it's hard to prosecute though as well if you read any form of like government statistic and like reform about it they talk about one of the biggest issues is that the age to which it's done now is getting lowered all the time to make it harder to track and trace because if you've had it done as a baby like the three-year-old that had Mm -hmm. it done the child's not really gonna remember in a few years or know who did it or why or even know anything has happened really can't speak out against it at all so again, in the case of honour-based violence, there has been a change. I mean, it's interesting to know that 11,000 cases of so-called honour crime were recorded by the UK police forces uh, from 2010 to 2014, and 18 recorded cases of honour killings in the UK. That seems quite a low statistic for um, the actual reality of it that we're facing. Yeah, I mean, I had the opportunity to go to Middlesbrough in November to see the trial of Jessica and Mitesh Patel, the pharmacist case that was quite discussed over autumn. Mitesh Patel killed his wife in May uh, after planning her murder for eight years. Eight years? The reason they'd even got married in the first place was because he was gay. He couldn't tell his family he was gay. So they'd been, they'd got married. Like, she loved him. And I think he pretended to love her, or at least convinced himself he loved her mm-hmm. at the time. Very soon their marriage deteriorated and him having loads of affairs with men. Her has suffering it severe depression. And he planned her murder for eight years. And she'd even her family had tried to convince her to divorce him. So it's not as if her family had pushed her out of it. Some of her family members had tried to convince her to divorce him. But she was so afraid of being rejected by her community for having asked for a divorce that she didn't. Um, but she was well aware of his affairs and he forced her into getting IVF. Um, again, forms of a lot of coercive behaviour, manipulation and all these kinds of things. He was abusive, like there's proof that he did beat her up occasionally. And so he planned to, he killed her in the end, having planned this for eight years so he could take her embryos, fly to Australia to be with his lover on her £2 million life insurance and what's interesting in the case was clearly there was an honour component, both in her not leaving him and in him having married her in the first place, why he killed her, all these things. But it wasn't really talked about in the trial. Like, they just focused it on a, from a criminal law perspective. They, they didn't even mention the fact that clearly was a case of honour killing. So this proves how, why you say the statistics mm. are so low. Because they will see the crime, they will prosecute it, but they won't often link it to 
issues of honour crime. If so it's, it's still not a normalised or widely accepted form of crime within the UK that, that needs to become more spoken about. Yes, in the sense, they f- I think they just find it hard to distinguish it from other forms of crime. Right. Like, they're well aware it exists. And the police, I mean, we had the opportunity to meet police officers last year for a project. And they're doing loads of training for all their officers in relation to all these crimes and how to identify them, how to help victims, how to issue protection orders so that the victim is separated from the family mm-hmm. or cannot be taken out of the country, for say, for a forced marriage or an FGM practice. But in cases like this, when it's not so obvious just that it's just that, like, in the Benazma Mood case, it was obvious that it was her family that had done it. And they proudly said why they'd done it as well. Like, they, they were proud of what they'd done which is an interesting thing about mm. honour-based violence. The the perpetrators genuinely think they're doing their community a service or a sacrifice themselves by killing their family member for the honour of the community. And in the case of like the Mitesh Patel thing in Middlesbrough, it wasn't really talked about because it was like, oh no, he killed her because he wanted to run away with his lover and he wanted the money, etc. But that, why he did it in the first place and why she had refused to leave him despite him threatening her was clearly linked to honor crime but because it wasn't the main facet of the investigation it just wasn't really considered that much these cases really show how complex and convoluted these these issues are and how you said they're all they're all intertwined interlinked i know we've mentioned quite a lot fgm would you like to ask a bit more about it, what is it, motives, consequences? I mean, the World Health Organization defines female genital mutilations as all the procedures involving partial or total removal of the external female genitalia. So they could entail the removal of the clitoris, the removal of the clitoris and the labia, partially, fully restitching up the female organs to leave a tiny gap. Again, the it's completely unnecessary. There's no no medical benefits at all, and there's loads of ne- medical negative consequences from both physical and mental health perspectives. So, what are the motives of it then? Most of the reasons are built on myth, in the sense that people that come from communities in which it is done, for example, and have had it done themselves will then do it to their children because despite having suffered all these consequences, they believe it preserves the girl's virginity, it purifies her, it protects the status of the family, it cleanses the community. It's all based on myth. I mean, we recently talked about with our charity the case of this girl who was about our age and had never had it done and she got pregnant. And they told her that if she didn't have her clitoris removed, when the clitoris touched the head of the baby during birth, the baby's head would explode. So people are told things about it. Fear-mongering. Yes, there's a lot of fear-mongering. They're convinced that it is for their own benefit, despite thinking it's horrible and suffering terrible consequences for the rest of their lives, both short-term and long-term. A lot of people will then do it to their children because if they don't know any better that it, all this stuff, things they've been told is complete rubbish and realise that there's actually no truth whatsoever in, in why it's done to them, they will do it to their children. Because they think it's right. Yeah. They, it's traditional and they think it's right. They're manipulated into believing that that's how it should be and that it's right. 
I mean, medical consequences can be anything. If it's done, like in the case of the little girl we mentioned earlier, it was found out because she was bleeding to death and she was rushed to hospital. So short-term consequences can be blood loss, really bad diseases. You can, in some countries, there have been cases of AIDS that have, people have got through procedures like this because obviously there's a huge lack of medical hygiene, sterilization. There's no anesthetic ever. You literally held down screaming, wow. chained to the table, or held down by your family with someone often using a kitchen knife on you. So short term causes PTSD. In nearly all the victims our charities supporting have PTSD out of it, and most people in the UK have been reco- recorded to have at least PTSD. Some people are suicidal. Long term can be anything from problems to urinating. Problems giving birth, problem conceiving. Like, in most cases, they can't even have sex. Like, that's the thing. They say it's to preserve their virginity, but they can't even physically have sex without being in excruciating pain. Some people have died trying to give birth after this because obviously they've been so, like, re-stitched together badly mm. that the baby can't actually come out. So how is the stitching removed? Um, I have heard, correct me if I'm wrong, that it's often on a wedding night that the male... When penetrating his bride, physically breaks the, the stitching. Yeah. Is that many of the cases that yes, in the sense off? that if heals properly, not much will happen. Content will be breached when they like lose their virginity the first time. But it's not as if suddenly having sex, this tiny hole that's been created, will go normal again. Mm. So every every single time they ever have sex or suffer excruciating pain. Wow. A lot of women don't even want to have babies after having had anything like this done because obviously the trauma linked to the sexual part of their body is immense. So they'll want to have nothing to do with children, nothing to do with sex. And in a lot of cases in the UK, for example, it's only being discovered now, which there's been an increase in cases discovered over 25% in the past two years. That's not really because there's more cases necessarily, but because more and more people having to go to doctor's visits for appointments and stuff, the doctor will straight away realise this has happened. It's not something you can conceal in any way. So it has become a lot more talk about, talked about. People will come out about it. But as we said previously, if you're a child, you don't really know who to blame. And a lot of people will protect their families. Like, that's the biggest issue with all these crimes. Mm. And the issue of the family becomes a lot more complicated. Yes. There's a sense of duty, a sense of honour, and a sense of alignment. You are always going to have more emotional connections to your family. Yeah, I mean, even in the case of, like, forced marriage or FGM, although you know that the cause of your problem is your family, say they might not have beaten you up to death the rest of your life, and they may even genuinely love you, Mothers who do this often think it is right. They're not mm. doing it with intention to harm their children. So even for a child who has grown up, going up and saying, my parents have done this, please punish them for it, is really hard because you love your family. As you said, you know they've done something wrong. But if you don't have your family, who do you have? Especially in cases like honor-based violence and forced marriage, you've been isolated from your family and from everyone else, the only, like, two family members you have left who are with you are probably the perpetrators. If you accuse them, you're going to have another one. So, I mean, we met 
um, last week when we went to Middlesbrough, we met another survivor and she lives now in a protected environment with her child. But the only the reason she hasn't asked for any form of restraining order against her abusive husband is because she wants the child to still have a relationship with the father because the child was never abused by the father. And I find that really hard to listen to because I was like, how can you think that because he's done this to you, he won't do it to him? But it actually does happen. There have been cases, and it is proven that, even in a lot of cases of domestic abuse, one partner may be really, really, really abusive towards another, but be perfectly fine with the children, or abuse the children and be fine with the parent. So I can see why she'd want to give the child the opportunity to have a relationship with their father, but at the same time, like, he's threatened to kill you. How can you not do something? If he's happy to kill you, he might be happy to kill your kid as well. Again, the complexity of these cases and issues is just unbelievable i mean where do you start what is being done on a global and national scale to to combat this i mean global scale is the issue obviously because a lot of these crimes happen transnationally and so it is hard to trace hard to punish all countries have different legislation in place for these obviously they're all crimes that are linked to like un conventions and stuff but they're not purposefully criminalized I mean, probably the one that is the most is FGM because it's really tackled by the World Health Organization. But the other two are like talked about in other treaties like Convention on the Rights of the Woman or the Rights of the Child. But it is hard for two countries to keep up, keep track of things going on at the same time. I was lucky enough last year in Italy to see the case of this, see, hear about this case of this girl who'd been taken away from an Italian city by her parents to Pakistan. When she was in Pakistan, she managed to call home in Italy to her friends, say, please report this, I'm being forced to marry someone. She was 16. And the Italian government managed to contact the Pakistan authorities in time, who showed up at her house in Pakistan and removed her from her family because they realised that the marriage was actually taking place. Sometimes these things do go right and they are stopped in time, but most of the time it's too hard especially in the cases of FGM, a lot of the children just, oh, I'm going away from school for like 10 days, going on holiday to my home country or something. And unless... It's very easy to mask. It's very easy to mask. children. Because the child doesn't know. Like, if you're a lot older, you'd probably think something's a bit weird sometimes. But as a child, you don't. Our charity told us about this case near Middlesbrough that a few, like literally a couple of months ago, that this little girl was saved by her primary school teacher because she he heard her talk about how she was going to go to her home country and see a doctor to receive sweets. And this, like, rung a bell in the teacher's mind and he called the police and had a protection, an FGM protection order put in place. That's amazing. So she couldn't leave, she can't leave the UK for a while and is constantly monitored by the UK government and the police force because they realised that she was going to be taken home to her receive FGM. Do you think that is the way forward? Do you think it's going to be more monitoring, more proactive restrictions and leaving the UK if signal flags and warning signs do come up? I'd like to say yes, because I feel like that definitely is helping. But it isn't the only way we can do this as well. Putting all these protection orders in place for forced marriage or FGM, etc. If it isn't even necessarily true, but you just... Because anyone can put them in place. Like, you could see someone in the street 
and say, oh my God, I've heard this happen. You could go to the police, report it, state what's happened, and they could pr- process the information and put a protection order in place. So you might not necessarily even have proof that this is happening. Obviously, they don't just do these things on vague suspicion, but anyone can. So you risk, by just just doing this, having just a system where everyone's like panicking and asking for this kind of thing, which might not necessarily even help because FGM is happening here. I mean, even the th- case of a three-year-old girl, they haven't found the woman who did the FGM. But they know it was a third party. They know for a fact it wasn't the mother who actually held the knife. So it's hard, probably aside from this, which definitely all these things would help, especially in the context of schools, etc. If the teachers are well informed, they will be be able to recognise the signs. But a lot of it is just general awareness in the population because the more you talk about these things, the more it's going to be obvious if someone has done anything like this. Because if it is discussed and people are aware it's a practice, the minute someone says anything a bit odd, people will pick up on it. Whereas if it people just don't even know these things happen, they definitely won't be able to pick up on the signs. We're doing now a project with Durham High School for Girls to talk to their students about these practices. And interestingly enough, they've had cases of threatened forced marriages and stuff within their students and luckily whenever this has happened they have been able to pick up on the signs and realize and therefore speak to someone who could stop this from happening but the problem as well is a lot of the time children will speak to children they won't speak to a teacher so again if even children and teenagers are informed of the practices it is more likely that they will be stopped because they they do talk to each other and even just by saying to your friend who thinks something like this is normal wait a minute, I don't think this is, something's fishy here, like, are you sure this is fine, are you happy with this? You might bring a bell in someone's brain and they will realise that's what's going on is wrong to them and maybe then ask for help. Because you can't force people to ask for help, you can't, you can't force someone to seek help, you can't, even in the case of our charity, they've had cases of people who have left the safe houses they've been in because they're just desperate to go back to their family and have then been dragged out of the UK and lost forever which is really sad but you can't force someone as we said it's really all these things are really 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 closely linked to mental health problems as in the case for that you can't force someone to get certain types of help if they don't want the help and it isn't going to work so I think that's probably the biggest issue is encouraging the victims to ask for help and know that there is help if they want it that's really interesting that alongside government legislation and education being massive driving forces to combat this, it really is the victims coming forward themselves and getting the courage and wanting to be helped that will bring an end to such atrocities. With this in mind, who are the key figures in the fight? Um, I mean, obviously, this Malala definitely has been a huge impact, especially within teenagers. She focuses on the right to education, but just by teaching girls all over the world how a child can change something so big by doing something that at the time felt so small mm. is definitely really, really important. She's People like her bringing to the attention of the global community issues like these. 
as well because obviously we've got huge feminist movements going on now with the Me Too, with the he for she things. But a lot of these, again, tend to focus on white women's problems. Whereas, unfortunately, a lot of these are not more traditionally embedded in Western white community. So having people talking about other issues like these, bringing to the attention things that are happening to women all over the world who maybe might have a different experience from that I will ever have, but that is a real experience that is happening and needs urgent addressing, is making people more aware. As you you wanted to mention as well, the Dubai Princess case, it's really sad and I wonder if we'll ever know what has now happened to her now that she's been recalled by her family. But the fact that she, from the utmost riches, I mean, her family, her father is the governor of Dubai. The fact that she had to run away because she said, my family's forcing me into a lifestyle that I don't want to live and will kill me if I don't comply, testifies how in some parts of the world this is so, so accepted. It was quite interesting when I was talking to our president the other day and she was telling me how the reason she joined the project in the first place was because she's from India and she realised when she was about 12 or 13 that until then she'd seen practices like these as normal, mm. um, especially in the case of like forced marriage and arranged marriages. As a child, she said she had no idea of the difference and took it as com- perfectly normal for this to happen. And growing up, she realised that this is not normal, this is not okay. Therefore, she wanted to join the project to bring out a positive impact in things that she is lucky enough not to experience, but she has seen people experience before in a society where it is, it is taken for granted and considered socially acceptable. Education, once again, denormalising something which really is unacceptable. Thank you so much. I feel very inspired by your work that you're doing, but also really horrified and sickened by the atrocities that happen in the UK, which we often are happily deceived thinking don't affect us or even happen here. So I think the work you're doing is absolutely crucial in bringing awareness and combating these issues head on. How would you feel about finishing with a quick fire round? I'd love that. <laughs> this is Quick Fire with Virginia. Who is your biggest inspiration? Right now, probably Malala. What feeds your soul? Why do you get up out of the bed morning? What is your why? Wanting to do something for the people. Um, I feel like doing something that you feel has use to to the community outside of yourself gives you a reason to do it in the first place. So I think that's why. What is one thing that we can all do to help combat this issue? Talk about it. Talking about it and raising awareness about it is the main thing. If these issues are discussed they're not normalized but people won't treat them as taboo anymore and will stop it by being aware it exists and what is one thing moving forward that you want to see imminently against fgm more prosecutions because the cases happen quite frequently and it's really sad that it's so hard to prosecute and that we've had one prosecution after years of the practice Amazing, thank you so much. Is there anything you'd like to leave our listeners with? Any takeaways they can have? Um, please come to all our events and share our 
content on social media, the more you talk about it, the more you're aware that these issues are happening, both to men and women. So that's probably the thing that I need to stress the most. Men are victims as well. Don't forget that they exist. And don't say that these issues are only women's issues because that's our biggest problem as a student project. Whenever we try to talk about these to men, a lot of the time we get, oh, these are women's problems. No, they're not women's problems. They're society's problems. They're people's problems. And the more you refuse to accept that these happen to men as well, the more when they happen to you, you're going to struggle with being able to come out with them because you think that these things don't happen and these things can't be talked about. Amazing. Thank you. Let's talk about society's issues and really combat this fight head on. Um, thank you again, Virginia. An inspiration to us all. Really. I will leave all the details in the show notes below. Thank you. Thank you so much.